Your line of questioning isn't, it, it isn't uh, conducive to a good interview. Why is that? It just isn't. It's not going anywhere. You're asking me this, this, it's, it's, this is... What's wrong with that line of questioning? It's unfair. Right, listen. Mm. If, you, if you want to sort it out, find me. You didn't find me. You could have fought me and you didn't. If you want to find me, here I am. Let's have a fight. Let's do it on the cobbles if you want. Forget boxing. Let's do it outside. When I fought Hatton, I knocked Hatton out with 10 ounce gloves on. Stepping back when he was undefeated. In my prime, I spanked him. Yeah, How did he gonna be as equally talented as me? Are you serious? As easy as I beat him, I could have beat him while playing chuckles on the other side. That's how easy that was. <laughs> and he better than us? Are you serious, James Tony? They call me the problem, but you could call me the can man, because anybody can get Africans, Americans, Dominicans, Mexicans, anybody can get it. Hey guys, and welcome to Beyond Boxing. Now, I hadn't expected to do a pod this time. I was quite hoping for a nice, quiet weekend and just settling to the whole lockdown vibe. But I think everyone's kind of kept pace with what's happening in the world of boxing and the announcement from Team Canelo via Eddie Reynoso that Canelo is now officially a free agent. Now, I would take that as given. I don't believe Canelo, I don't believe the Reynosos are the kind of people who would make that announcement unless they had shaken on it, metaphorically speaking. I'm sure an agreement has been reached between all the relevant parties. And you know, credit to the people involved if it turns out to be as bloodless as it seems, because we did an episode on this before, if you remember. And feel free to go and look at, I think it's the last one we did under Beautiful Boxing, so it's episode 92. And we explained how everything ended up there. So I just want to give a brief overview of that and then talk about the matter in hand and get more into the details of what what's happened in the intervening period and then what we think the future looks like going forward. So the first question is, how on earth did we end up in this situation? And to answer that, I, or I always go back to an expression used by one of my favourite comedians growing up, a man called Eddie Griffin, one of the funniest people, like naturally funniest people on planet Earth. And he said something really interesting. And the expression he uses is, the end is always in the beginning. So what does that mean? Essentially what it means is when you see something go wrong, the thing that caused it to go wrong was right there in the beginning. So when we say, how, how have we ended up here? The answer is Oscar De La Hoya and specifically the fact that Oscar De La Hoya does business without consulting the people he's meant to be representing. And if you think back to, I think it was last year where Canelo was talking about how he hadn't seen contracts and he wasn't sure about money's getting paid. And more importantly, he wasn't happy that Oscar De La Hoya was negotiating on his behalf when he already has a managerial team, the Canelo team headed up by Eddie Reynoso. So you then saw a proxy war develop where Canelo clearly wheeled out Ryan Garcia to air some of the same concerns and to demand more money for the fights that you know he was involved in because he thought he was generating more than he was being paid. And so this started to create that climate that maybe Oscar De La Hoya is not switched on and focused. And this has added to the wider public discussions and we've heard Dana White take shots at Oscar De La Hoya about drug use and so forth. So it starts to create this climate of Oscar De La Hoya being someone who's not in control and probably isn't the best person to guide the career of 
the pound for pound number one in my eyes and the most lucrative man in boxing without a shadow of a doubt. So there are already issues with Oscar and they manifest themselves in the fact that Canelo has a contract with Oscar De La Hoya and Oscar De La Hoya will then contract the services of Canelo out to DAZN. So DAZN have never had a direct contract with Canelo. I don't even think DAZN have been able to speak directly to Canelo without going through Oscar. And obviously this creates problems, particularly as Canelo's risen to the top of the sport of boxing. And so that's one aspect of it, is that tension that was building between Canelo and Oscar. The second bit of it is the $365 million contract. You know, two years ago, when DAZN were really bullish about what they could do in boxing, and they were telling us that there was a billion dollars to play with over eight years, and they were going to revolutionize boxing, the boxing model was broken, pay-per-view was dead, and the zone with the future. A lot of fans bought into that. And we sat through and we heard people tell us, yeah, this is the end of pay-per-view. And they were talking about how irrelevant Showtime were. And Steven Espinosa got a hard time. And I always remember this because I've enjoyed watching Steven Espinosa make that resurgence and come back and be relevant. Now, people were calling Bob Aram a dinosaur for saying pay-per-view will never die. And in fact, Eddie Hearn hung on to pay-per-view in the UK, even while telling us that pay-per-view was dead in the US. And so you have this massive contract handed out at the time to Canelo to secure the preeminent name in boxing. Someone able to do 160, 168, 175, as it turns out. And so through that, you could then draw in other people who wanted to fight Canelo because you then have one promotional umbrella or one broadcasting umbrella, I should say, and everyone can sit under that and you take your turns to fight Canelo. That all works in theory, but... You still have to carry $365 million on your balance sheet. Now, that's not all in one go. You're going to spread it out over the life of the contract. Problem is the contract's probably about five or six years. So you're still carrying 60 to $70 million, depending on the year, on your balance sheet. And we'll come on to it later, but that causes all kinds of problems for other parts of your business when you carry that much downside risk. Because whatever Canelo does, it's almost irrelevant. He's guaranteed that money as per his contract. So it's a, it's a finite sum of money. So that, that started to become you know, a real weight around the neck of DAZN as time moved on. And so they had a frustration that they weren't able to get their $365 million worth of value because they thought they could make a large chunk of that off a Canelo-Golovkin fight. A fight Canelo has repeatedly said he will never revisit because he doesn't feel he has anything to prove against Golovkin. And he didn't like the way Golovkin couldn't accept defeat. And so DAZN find themselves in a tricky position. There's only so much money you can make with Canelo fighting the likes of Danny Jacobs and Sergei Kovalev. And I think, as, as Canelo, I think, said in private, I kind of spend my career fighting guys like Danny Jacobs and Gabe Rosado, which is true. So you end up in a position where you've got $365 million you're probably never going to make a profit on. And you're a company that's severely cash-strapped. So your frustrations become with Oscar and with Canelo because you're saying, we need to get our money back. Therefore, can we have the Golovkin fight? Canelo says, no, I've never committed to it. DAZN say, well, Oscar's committed to it. And Canelo quite rightly said, I'm not Oscar, I'm Canelo. Therefore, if you want me to fight Golovkin, you're going to have to give me more than the per fight guarantee of this contract. 
because I understand what that fight is worth and I know what it's worth to you guys. And in parallel to all of this, the boxing market has basically told the zone that we're a sport that lives by unique rules. And one of those rules is fans engage your platforms on a fight-by-fight basis. We don't love franchises. So as a promoter, you have to keep giving us good fights. And a fan will jump from ESPN to PBC to DAZN with no real sense of loyalty, unlike American football, college football, or basketball. In these sports, if you secure the rights, fans will stay and watch them Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because they have an interest not only in the team that they support, but the wider context in which things happen, whereas boxing fans have no interest. They barely have an interest in the undercard. So to want to see a whole a whole broadcaster's pool of fighters, most boxing fans don't. The hardcores do, but the hardcores are a small minority. And they're not a very lucrative minor, uh, minority because they mostly stream or file share. Now, even worse, if you look at the fights the zone are able to make, it's mostly by positioning their guys as mandatories. They haven't been able to do significant deals with either Al or Bob Arum. I know people talk about Lomachenko v. Crawler and Lomachenko v. Campbell. But if you look at Lomachenko v. Crawler, that was just an easy payday for him. So he's okay with that. If you look at Lomachenko versus Campbell, it's another one that people... Campbell's not an asset to anyone, and which is a real shame and a sign of real mismanagement by his promoters that we're talking about Campbell as cannon fodder. But look, look what's happened to Tevin Farmer. Tevin Farmer is completely frozen out of any interesting action at the moment because DAZN are effectively isolated. They've become their own entity where they have to make in-house fights in order to generate revenue, which, was, which may have been the plan, but it was the plan with a better stable of fighters, which they've been unable to secure. So now we get to post-lockdown and every promoter's taking their strategy. So Frank put his guys in the shop window. Eddie was more conservative in his approach. Bob Arum was pretty bullish in his approach in both quality and quantity. And then Al came later, but Al came hard with pay-per-view quality fights on a consistent basis. DAZN struggled. We had Jessica McCaskill. We're now having to watch Devin Haney versus like a 90-year-old Uriorcus Gamboa. Um, You've got Ryan Garcia versus Luke Campbell, a fight that means nothing to anyone. And DAZN kind of looked like they're in limbo. You know, they, they clearly lack direction. And into all of this, they wanted to insert Canelo versus a big name. And to them, you know, they're talking about Billy Joe Saunders. It then turns out Billy's not fit enough for anyway. And then Callum Smith, not a big enough name. Because, and Team Canelo have been consistent in this. We're not fighting to make money for Eddie Hearn. We're fighting for legacy. And Callum Smith hasn't earned that right to be called a legacy fight on a global basis. Nor has Billy Joe Saunders. I think... The, Canelo's view is Billy's run away from the chance to be great so why would I fight him to make him great when he hasn't worked for it so so I've said all of that just to crystallize this point DAZN have had enough of having to deal with Oscar they don't really want to deal with Canelo with this 365 million dollar contract Canelo doesn't really want to be bound by this contract because he knows he can make more money in the open market and he doesn't really need Oscar. Oscar needs him. And so you've got 
DeZone saying we'd quite happily leave this contract. You got Canelo going, I'd quite happily walk away from it. And you got Oscar going, no, I need I need both you guys to get back on board. And so you ended up in a situation where conflict wasn't beneficial for anybody. And so I guess that kind of brings us to the scenario where we're at today because Canelo had filed the lawsuit and I'm sure both legal teams have reviewed it and they've looked at the wider strategic objectives and they've probably agreed, actually, maybe we don't need to fight each other and if we split amicably now we can do business further down the line my theory on that is a conversation was had that said okay canelo if we if we rip up this contract and you're a free agent is there a possibility we can work with you in the future and i'm sure canelo's team said if you give us the right opponent and it makes sense to everyone we'll think about it and my expectation will be at some point when canelo needs an opponent to mark time, you will see him fight Golovkin. It'll be a 39-year-old Golovkin, past his best, and Canelo will run over him and we'll all complain that nah, it was two years too late. But he'd have fulfilled his obligation and I think everyone will move on from that. As for Oscar De La Hoya, what happens with him? One thing you've got to give Oscar credit for is he knows how to build a stable. Every, every few years, Golden Boy regenerates. So, Dazone will be smart to keep him in there as they focus on what their new strategy is because Oscar has it in him to bring in a new stable of fighters and a new stable of pay-per-view stars, particularly in that Latin American market where he still holds a lot of pull. Because to be honest, you know, even on the female side, Franchon Cruz, Dazone can be in big fights to Savannah Marshall. Marlon Esperanza, who was formerly the girlfriend of Nicola Adams, is still someone of note in the sport. Um, you've got young guys coming through like Blair Cobbs though not that young but still on the way up Rashidi Ellis there are people on that stable who can go on to do stuff and it may be better aligned with a future zone where everyone grows organically but in essence it's easier to draw a line under this where you say renegotiate the contract with Oscar because it'll be hard to shift him and then you know part ways with Canelo amicably and hopefully further down the line you will get Canelo to fight on your platform. Not impossible. I can see anything happening because it's all up in the air at the moment. So you've got a multi-million dollar corporation, maybe multi-billion, depending on your valuation. And they've let their prize asset go. And they seem to have done it without much of a fight, with not much saber rattling and hardly any face saving in public. And I have to caveat that by saying, this is assuming that Canelo really is a free agent. So why would why would the zone do that? Just pause for a second and think. In your life, would you let your prize asset go that easily? The fact that they've had to do that tells you there's something fundamentally wrong with the zone that maybe they're not publicizing. It's worth remembering just how deeply indebted the zone is. And it wasn't that long ago the zone were looking for first half a billion in external investment and then it was a billion they were looking for of external investment into a platform that's primarily primarily known for boxing in the United States and you have to be brutally honest to say boxing is a really small market with very little crossover appeal and the zone as a network doesn't have alternative media assets that it can leverage 
in the same way that Sky Sports do. So Sky Sports are, are able to, to promote an Anthony Joshua fight during Premier League broadcasts, during the darts, during fishing, basically all of its assets. So it can actually create that crossover demand for its pay-per-view platform. And it does this really well. The same is true for ESPN through its Disney network. And the same is true for PBC via Fox. They have multiple assets in which they can cross-collateralize and build a wider platform for their fighters. DAZN doesn't have that. DAZN is just DAZN and it has to keep that going. It, misun- it misunderstood the nature of the boxing market, mainly because it only listened to people who were intent on taking its money. There were no objective and neutral boxing voices in, in that circle to, to guide them and advise them because most people in boxing know the aim of boxing is to find people with money and to part to, well, to separate them from their money. And so you've got this debt that you've used to not only acquire other sports rights like the Premier League, but to acquire boxers, to offer guarantees like $365 million to Canelo. This all sits on your balance sheet. And you can use the half a billion you raised to pay off some of your debt. And maybe that's why a lot of investors were nervous. But one of the things they never talk about is when you borrow money, you make commitments to the people you borrow money off. And one of them is that you will run the business in a sensible manner. So every loan agreement has covenants. And these covenants are, we promise we will keep our, it might be a cost income ratio above a certain level. We promise we will keep our revenue growth above a certain percentage. And when you breach these covenants, the loans you have taken out are liable to be paid in full. And basically what that does is it gives your creditors an opportunity to come into the business and run it properly or run it the way they need it run in order to get their return. So the last thing you ever want to do is breach your your borrowing covenants because then the business kind of falls out of your hands which you've seen a lot with football clubs when they can't pay their players anymore and then people start coming in for their debts. Then it goes into administration before someone comes in and agrees to pay the debt or for a proportion of it. So COVID's been a tough market for everyone. It's revenues are down. Um, I imagine most DAZN subscriptions have been frozen for many months this year. Many probably haven't been reactivated until there's a fight that they want to see. So everyone's trying to save money any which way they can. There's been no gate revenue. So promoters aren't willing to, to put their big names you know, in harm's way. You, know, you see that with Eddie Hearn because he's waiting for that gate revenue, which is how much will make the majority of their money is off the gate. That's why Eddie works so hard to create events that are of some scale, right? So COVID's a massive dent in the revenue generating capability of a platform like DAZN. What does that mean? It means that it's hard to get cash flow because your cash flow comes in from subscribers. And if everything's frozen, you have no cash flow. And that's why you're seeing the layoffs at the zone. I think they've laid off 120 people. And that's another way you show your, your creditors that you're taking steps to manage your indebtedness. Because in most situations, employees are the first people to get paid when a company goes tits up. So, so now you're beginning to see that there's this increasing pressure on the zone, and that the idea that you can be a big money player in boxing is slowly, slowly evaporating as COVID starts to make things a bit real in 2020 in terms of trying to generate interest and trying to generate revenue. So what we've seen with the zone as well, and people don't want to really discuss this, but 
we'd seen a soft reset of sorts. If you go back to, I think it was October 2019, and you heard the John Skipper interview where he was talking about trying to make fights happen and trying to be more amenable to other promoters, trying to understand how they work and trying to work with them. And you saw Eddie Hearn get moved out the way for some of the bigger ticket negotiations. And instead, John Skipper stepped in. And you started to hear you know, from Joe Markovsky and everyone else, we're going to be sensible in the purses we pay fighters. We're going to be sensible in the fights that we allow on our platform. And what that was was a soft reset. And it was a way of saying, we need to start cutting our costs and we need to stop being so extravagant and overpaying for fighters who aren't delivering the subscriber growth we need. I think they're hovering somewhere between 800,000 and a million in the US at the moment. And the expectation by this point was that they'd have three and a half million. So that tells you how far off track DAZN actually are. So the Canelo departure actually offers them an opportunity to do two things that DAZN have badly needed to do. Number one, you take that 365 million less whatever they've paid Canelo off your balance sheet. So you already look 60 or 70 million a year better off. That takes pressure away from your, your loan covenants. It makes you more attractive to invest in now because you're not as indebted as you were before. And that also frees up cash flow to do other things. It frees up cash flow to invest in marketing. It frees up cash flow to to start scaling up your 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 in-fight or in-game interactive platform and see if that supports some kind of betting or gambling, you know, kind of like Skybet do. And you start to start to cross-collateralize your assets now, which I think will be good for design going forward. But once you free up this cash that was committed to Canelo, you're able to do that. The second thing it does is it says DAZN can now have a hard reset. And that's what they need. They need a hard reset and they need to ask themselves, what do we want to do in boxing? My suspicion is they might want to start, not necessarily smaller, but start with a younger cohort of fighters and build them up like every other network has done until you then get your, your world championship caliber fighters. And that should be a lot cheaper. It's always cheaper to produce your own than it is to buy people in. And I think it's that hard reset that DAZN should be looking forward to the most. And it's that hard reset coupled with the balance sheet impact that probably forced their hand in terms of letting Canelo go. So it's a, it's a situation where everyone wins unless your name's Oscar De La Hoya. So we can see clearly how DAZN win in all of this. They can move to being a far lower cost boxing proposition. You know, you've got guys like Marky Garcia and Jesse Vargas, who I don't think are that expensive. You've got Tevin Farmer, who I don't think is that expensive. Billy Joe and Callum Smith won't be that expensive. I think, you know, there'll be a reality check from everyone involved once they realise the situation the zone are in. So you turn it around and go, okay, what does this mean for Canelo? Absolutely everything. The man's in the peak years of his career. This is when he makes his money. And now Canelo is free to negotiate with any platform he chooses, whether he wants to be exclusive to a network or not, I think he's been burnt by the experience with DAZN. So I can see Canelo picking and choosing his fights. So he might commit to PBC for middleweight fights. He might commit to Bob Arum in top rank for super middleweight. And he might commit to DAZN for anything else that seems interesting. And I think that would be a good situation for him because all he's trying to do now is enhances legacy and enhances bank balance and the reality is Canelo needs pay-per-view to do that just to illustrate a point I think his second fight with Golovkin did something that 1.3 million pay-per-view buys 
And I've just said the zone have a subscriber base between 800,000 and a million. So it makes no sense to, to be on that platform when you can get 1.3 million paying customers. Then you've got Mexico as well. There are all of these things that Canelo can, can monetize. And this is his time to do it. You know, he's a keen student of the sport and he understands he's the same age as Floyd was when he really took ownership. He's the same age as Oscar was when he really took ownership. This is the time for him to do that. He also knows that guys like Ryan Garcia will follow Canelo because it's just more lucrative and it's better for your long-term career and your profile if you're on a Canelo undercard than if you're on some random golden boy undercard. But it also, I think it makes a mockery of all those guys who joined the zone so they could fight Canelo. What do they do? Does Billy Joe walk away now and say, well, there, there are no fights here for me. I'll fight John Ryder. I'll fight Gabriel Sardo. I'll fight Callum Smith. And that's pretty much it. That's an underwhelming career for someone of Billy Joe Saunders' talent. Callum Smith is now looking going, what's there for me here? Absolutely nothing. Danny Jacobs for what? Gabriel Sardo for what? There's, so there's nothing there for Callum Smith now. So does Callum Smith move up, box at 175? There's probably money there for him, but he'd still need to go cross-network. You know, Danny Jacobs has kind of done the, has done the rounds. There's nothing there. All of a sudden, all of these big expensive names that are with the zone will happily walk away. And that will leave Eddie in a tricky position because as, you know, I'll probably do an episode on what's going to happen with the UK. A big part of what happens in the UK is what the zone decide to do. And I can see the zone being very low key. Now, I can see DAZN actually just looking to, to buy up UK fights and not be involved in promoting them or anything, just literally like they did with Joshua Ruiz too. Just pay a couple of million for the fight so they've got content. I don't see them wanting to make a big dent in the UK. It's, it's too capital intensive at a time when they don't have any capital. So, and then I say all of that to say this. It's rare in boxing that you see a conflict end where everyone wins and everyone walks away happy and this might be the first i know people say what about oscar but i think oscar will secretly enjoy it because he can be he can go back to being the main man again he can go back to being the top dog a golden boy the company he named after himself and for a long time he did he lived in the shadow of canelo he of golden hair so i think everyone wins in this and you just hope that it doesn't get contentious and you know things move on and Canelo gets to make the money he deserves to make. Oscar can rebuild and come back again. And DAZN can finally start purging their balance sheet of these overpriced and underperforming boxes that they've got. You know, I don't know what it means for Eddie Hearn. We'll see. But I wouldn't be surprised if you see Eddie start piling up to Sky again and remembering, you know, that he might need that UK pay-per-view money to keep his own business afloat because 2020 has been a write-off from a matching perspective. So I think I've managed to do it in under 30 minutes. I'm great. But that's my take on where we're at with Canelo. So please let me know what you think. If you think this is sensible, if you think it's engaging, please like, please share, please communicate this out. Not just on Twitter, but if you're part of these forums, like Loyal to the Game Boxing Talk, whatever it is you're part of, and there's a discussion about Canelo happening, make sure we share the story because quite often, you know, this is an outlet that gets things right. So you know, let's share that and make sure that you know people understand who the most relevant podcast in the game is. Thanks very much, guys, and take care.